Welcome to the Vancouver Tech Podcast. My name is James. And I am Drew. You usually say, how's it going, Drew? And I usually say, it's going wicked awesome, James. <laughs> we yeah. had a pretty uh, pretty cool week last week, and we've got a great week coming up. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the events that happened last week, mm-hmm. some of the ones we may have wanted to go to and missed, and some of the ones we actually did go to. We started out with Monday. Meetups around town. So last week was a pretty cool week in meetups. Uh, I started out on Monday. I did go out to that um, Git meetup, exploring Git. Mm. Have you been to that? No, but I know that I need to just to bug Adam about uh, my Git workflow. Really? Tell us a little bit about your Git workflow. Yeah, we usually use, um, we actually use a lot of Git hooks versus okay. like um, a CI or anything like that, like mm-hmm. continuous integration or even like um, other tools like that. So I'll use a lot of Git hooks with um, our GOGS server and that's uh, like GitLab. But mm-hmm. it's a Go version. Okay. Um, so it's a single binary, super easy to install. But we use that, and it has a little text field where you literally just paste a Git hook, mm-hmm. and it'll just execute on your server whenever you push or pull or whatever hook you're hooking onto. Mm-hmm. And so we have a different branch, or sorry, different upstreams or remotes per server. Yep. So we have a dev remote, we have a local remote, obviously your your origin or whatever, and then we have a, uh, a production remote. Mm-hmm. And each one of those has different Git hooks depending on what's happening. So um, with Laravel, which we use, there's different environment files. And so my script basically just moves around some environment files based on whatever the server is. So if it's a production server, it knows to move the env prod file to .env, which is the uh, file that Laravel loads as the environment. Mm-hmm. And then in there, there's different database stuff. There's different things with the URL. There's different things with uh, whether memcached is on or not, all this other stuff, as well as uh, mail and all that other stuff. Well, that's so that's kind of how we use what it now. What about um, tests? Are you writing tests? Sometimes, if there's something complicated, like we don't do TDD or anything, mm-hmm. although I'm thinking about it now because we're getting into more complicated tools. And when you have models and a lot of database stuff, you kind of want to make sure that the relationships make sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, Laravel has this thing called factories, yep. which is just like you can build up a factory of a model mm-hmm. and given giving it random data. And so you seed your database with that and you test. Sometimes you test against your database depending on what you're doing, mm-hmm. but you're basically testing relationships. And we're starting that now as we move into like, crazy uh crazy relationships like many to many's and many through many's which is really tough to figure out uh mentally Mm -hmm. so i think that we'll probably start doing uh something that i heard that was cool at our last meetup Mm -hmm. that we went to uh the one at uh, code core with the guy with the uh the driver that would go through your server what was it called the java thing it would actually look at your whole app i remember that he said they do something like a test in production right right i think that was at the public cloud users group yeah um uh, this is a while yeah but I, I'm not, I, I can't remember what it was. So I'm wondering with GOGS, would that actually support running tests uh, for you before? Yeah, I mean, you uh, can hit, uh, you can also hit, like, you can also do webhooks too. So you could hit a URL, send some post data. Uh, you can do other things that Git can do as well. Like obviously like post post hooks and, and, and pre So GOGS wouldn't actually run your tests for not, you? Not necessarily, but you could just hit a tool on your server right. and just say, you know, run the, run the, like for us, it's PHP unit. So run PHP unit. If it fails or there's errors, uh, exit one then just spit back or cancel or close or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you can do like, that's very rudimentary manual type of stuff. We don't necessarily do any CI or anything, but I know mm-hmm. you're uh, like, you're pretty comfortable with the CI environments, right? Mm-hmm. With Jenkins and stuff. Is it Jenkins yeah, or um, continuous CI? Sure. Right? So, well, continuous integration or continuous yeah. delivery. I guess it, it kind of depends on the, on the tools that you're, uh, that you're using or comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used Jenkins in the past. I wouldn't say that I, I, I enjoy Jenkins too much. Um, but yeah, uh, Circle CI yeah, Circle or CI. Uh, Travis, uh, there's, there's a bunch of different ones that, you know, depending on 
I guess the the complexity of what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's probably some efficiencies to find there um, with using post hooks. I don't. I, I mean, I'd like to get into the CI stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It just seems like one of those things I need to like buckle down and learn over a week, right? Well, I hear a lot of yeah. I, I <laughs> maybe a little bit longer, but oh. sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, maybe a week, but. Yeah. Uh, I hear a lot of really interesting things and, uh, you know, people say, oh, you know, don't use frameworks mm-hmm. at all or, you know, you have to develop this way or you should be developing that way. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, that age old adage, I guess, like, what should you be doing? Well, it depends. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's just there's so many factors that come into play. Like even when you say, you know, oh, we're not really writing tests because, you know, we're pushing out some pretty simple things. Yeah. Um, if you're working for clients and you're building, um, yeah. you know, web basically websites on top of WordPress. Yeah, in the most example, literal or, sense. Yeah. Um, you know, then what uh, What do you really need to have behind it? But That's a good point. Complex I don't think I've ever then... seen a WordPress site that had tests that mm-hmm. were like integration tests with mm-hmm. your theme or anything like that. I've never seen that in the wild. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it doesn't exist, but I've never seen that myself. And would you want it? Would you have that in your budget? If that's something mm-hmm. that, you know, your client's paying for and they're, they've got a, a particular budget, do they have the budget to say, mm-hmm. let's spend, you know, a couple extra weeks making sure this is uh this is all done in tdd i'm actually reading a book right now um off lean pub mm-hmm. and it's about testing mm-hmm. it's sort of like baby's first tests okay. and it's about how to basically get started with testing and one of the things it says is that um it actually takes 30 percent longer to write the tests mm-hmm. but your uh, you're saving. It covers about ninety percent of the bugs you're gonna you're gonna that are gonna pop up. So that's pretty interesting. I believe those numbers. Um, I, I've read a few things, and I'd I'd love to put a link to the ones that I that I have. But mm. I believe there were some companies like Microsoft and IBM, mm. some of the larger companies that kind of went through that, yeah. and that that yeah, sounds like the numbers the that they that came up here. with was uh, once you're comfortable with yeah. testing, right? So upfront, if you're not, it's going to take a lot longer than 30%. But mm. overall, uh, they found it takes about 30% longer, but then it covers about, you know, it yeah. like when you're looking at support, yeah. Uh, or you're looking yeah. at QA, you're looking at, you know, the margins fixing. become way better. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, if you write those tests up front, spend that 30% up front while you're actually mm-hmm. in the app and writing it, there's no spool up, burn down time of switching on and off the project. If you write the, right. if you take that 30% quote unquote up mm-hmm. front and then you are on a maintenance plan with someone, well, that 30% time that you invested initially is going to pay over dividends you know it's just mm-hmm. going to get better and better and better because you already know that the program is to well tested and that really depends again on budget i think because yeah. if you're just trying to get something out the door so you can get that next round of funding mm-hmm. then maybe you don't have time and whatever technical debt you incur mm-hmm. you're willing to live with because you're not going to get anywhere if you yeah. don't get somewhere the mvp <laughs> rarely has tests <laughs> yeah. so uh yeah but uh, that was a bit of a tangent <laughs> explore yeah, git sure check was. it out yeah, yeah. So it was pretty fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, cool. And then after that, uh, I didn't go to anything else on Monday, did you? No. No. Uh, and then we had Tuesday. So Tuesday was kind of interesting because we hadn't talked about it last week, but I guess both you and I ended up at uh, something with the the BC Developers Exchange. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, Wavefront was a, a company that's partially sponsored yeah. uh, through the BC government. And uh, anyway, this was this was from 2.30 till about 6.30. And I, I think I hung out till about 8 or 8.30. Yeah, I dipped uh, early. So yeah, mm-hmm. I dipped early. Well, and there was a bunch of event other too. events that I really wanted to go to. Uh, mm-hmm. ACL, I believe, had their, uh, their open house slash t- uh, hiring event. Oh. There was the... Um, the learning data science reading group that I really wanted to go to. Oh, right, right. Yeah. But uh, I've been I've been spending some time uh, talking with some of the people from the BC Developers Exchange. And uh, this has been um, pretty interesting. They're really 
great people, I think, and they're trying to open source as much uh, of the data that they can and work mm -hmm. with the development community to kind of make some pretty cool things happen. So it's basically so. like a panel of all these different people from different parts of the BC government. There was a Surrey, there was a lady from Surrey there. There was a lady from the city of Vancouver. There was a TransLink guy, mm -hmm. um, a Microsoft guy, and another guy from, or another lady from the uh, dad, the highway, the highway data. So they were talking about drive BC. Yeah, drive BC. So they were talking about, well, what do we have and what can we give you and how's it going to work or what's their sort of goal in, in releasing this data? Mm -hmm. um, my big question so was, how do we know what is out there? Right. So the, this one was mostly the uh, the theme was transportation. Mm -hmm. uh, so it made a lot of sense to have TransLink's interim CIO. Yeah. It made a lot of sense to have uh, City of Surrey and Drive BC tell mm -hmm. us about the, the webcam data that they have and uh, some of the things that they currently have. Um, they're quite willing to work with us. Now, how do we know what they have? Well, we got to work with them and kind of figure that out. So the bcdevelopersexchange.org, uh, and we'll have a link down below. Uh, that uh, is a really good forum to kind of ask and answer questions or mm -hmm. open up uh, issues on GitHub with, at the BC Dev Exchange. Yeah, they actually do pay for pulls. So they have a list of issues that mm -hmm. you can get paid for if you mm -hmm. if you close them. And that's just one of the models that they have. Mm -hmm. So if you're like, ah, pay for pull, what's that? Yeah. I don't like this. If you do like it, great, hop on that. There's you know certain things that they have that they, they put out there, and it's maybe $1,000 uh, uh, if you get yeah. your pull request accepted. But that was just, you know, baby steps first step sure. you know see if that's something that's going to work and they're working on on other things and they'd love to have your opinion and work with you as well i think one of the, the most interesting things was that they were saying that if like this is everyone always wants the government to be more open open in a, in a more literal sense like mm -hmm. can i see what you're doing share that stuff with me right. i'm paying for it with my tax i should be able to see it mm -hmm. as well as we all know about open source and the power of open source bringing things the commoditizing different services. We've seen it with machine learning and AI and all this other stuff. But I think that the thing is people have to contribute. Mm -hmm. So if you don't contribute to this open data thing, they're not going to see it as a success. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important for people that, that can contribute or even if you're just going to play with it, if you find something that's wrong, like just submit a PR because showing them that there's people out there using it mm -hmm. means that more stuff will come along. Maybe not just BC, but other provinces in the country, other cities in the country will start to use these tools more appropriately for what the environment is now versus what it was a decade ago when these first things came out, right? Yeah, for sure. I just want to say that, uh, at least from my perspective, and maybe other people, if you have different uh, different experiences, you can correct mm. me if I'm wrong. But this really feels much more not like an us versus them thing mm. uh, at all. But yeah. this is us. There, th this is literally this is us as developers inside the government working together with us as developers outside mm. government to to do exactly that mm. so the people that are complaining if they're saying it's not open enough that's our fault as developers because yeah. they're we're, we're we're working together right now to do that so it's really it's cool that we can we can do that um, mm. so now the next thing you know how do we how do we bridge that gap between community and developers and make things really cool and open yeah. so I'd like to I'd like to really lead that into the the code for Canada stuff that we should have coming up uh, we'll hopefully see our first meetup uh, of this year next month sweet 
And then uh, I also went to Code and Coffee on Thursday. And how was that? That was awesome. Uh, there was three presenters. There mm-hmm. was one uh, lady, Elgin, who I met actually at Red Academy. Mm-hmm. And she was doing something called Max MSP, mm-hmm. which is like a sound um, building application. You can like build music with it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever seen those like uh, laptop orchestras? Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. Um, you can find the videos on YouTube and stuff. It's people that are basically have a laptop and they're building sounds and like touching the keyboard and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're actually composing music mm-hmm. live using the keyboard and it like they all have it's almost like a um if you're into music you know that uh, synthesizers have like these giant patch bays mm-hmm. of you know you can change a waveform and you can make it a square make it a sign and the, these changes in the waveform actually affect the output of the sound and the length and stuff like that that affects the frequency blah 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 but you can basically take a tone or a, a sound in and then manipulate it throughout and have a cool output it's called max msp but she had this really cool presentation about how she goes about building this and what it is. And she even had this cool thing where she had an Arduino hooked up to two pineapples mm-hmm. and she could tap the pineapples and it would actually move her slides. And she showed <laughs> a demo cool. where she could uh, play the play, like, like start the program and she would tap the pineapples and it would change the waveform. So it would start getting faster. It would start getting choppier. It would change the tone of it. Mm-hmm. It was really sweet. And there was one on uh, WebRTC, which is really cool as well. Mm-hmm. Um, WebRTC, for people that don't know, is sort of uh, the browser's implementation of peer-to-peer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can do things like um, send files securely between two clients. Mm-hmm. Like um, if me and Drew are on the same network mm-hmm. or at the, visiting the same site, we can send each other files and the server is out of the picture. So this is a direct connection between two laptops or two computers versus a server in the middle. So the server, the only thing the server does is the handshake saying, yep, this is Drew, yep, this is James. And then now they can talk together or talk to each other without someone intervening in the middle. It's also used a lot for video to video chat or chat in general, because these connections are super fast. Mm-hmm. You're basically taking the load off of the server and bring it to the client. So that was a really interesting presentation as well. So you're saying, uh, so there were two pretty awesome presentations. Well, the other guy had a React Native uh, presentation. He was showing this uh, UI builder using mm-hmm. React Native. So he would like drag around these boxes mm-hmm. and they would actually change his phone. Like he'd hold up his iPhone. It wasn't connected to the computer or anything. And it would rebuild the app and re-render on his phone. And it, you could see the difference when you move the box around. Mm-hmm. So it's three awesome presentations. And it's uh, it awesome. Three, Code and right. coffee. So good. <laughs> nice. Okay, yeah. I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah. And that was uh, from last week, huh? Yeah, busy week. So this upcoming week, we also have a pretty busy week. Monday, uh, there's three things that I found, uh, or you found, we found together. One was, of course, exploring Git. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, at 5.30 at Moose's Down Under. Oh, we forgot to mention, actually, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., SFU Venture Labs, uh, they're having this 2016 Canadian Financing Forum Entrepreneur Bootcamp. So that obviously is something you added, James. Yeah, it's uh, about it. <laughs> it's uh, it's basically they just say it's about it's a one day boot camp and it helps you figure out how to do fundraising in Canada and the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, things about valuation and data structures uh, or deal structures. Sorry, uh, tips and trends to follow. It's basically how do you do this? Somebody help me figure out how to get money. <laughs> That's the boot camp. Okay, so that might be kind of interesting. Um, not so much developer focused, but maybe if uh... yeah, if you're not focusing your money on finances and you're maybe building your product or building your MVP, uh, you should definitely try to like round out your knowledge with these other uh, other events. So that's over at uh, SFU Venture Labs Harbor Center. That's five fifty five West Hastings, and it's in uh, number twelve hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then in the evening at six thirty, there's Agile Vancouver, and that's over at Hootsuite headquarters. That's over on East Eighth. Uh, have you been out to any of the Agile Vancouver meetups, James? Uh, no, I think you said you went to. Oh no, that was the other meetup, the one about the uh, the the Agile or the uh, what was the stand up meeting one. Is that related? 
Oh, right. Okay. So this is one that I did end up going out to uh, last week or the week before. I think it was actually last week. Uh, There's Kickstarter or Kickstart. Mm. Um, That's over in uh, International Village. Mm. That's, what is it, 88 Pender, uh, right right by the Stadium Skytrain. So they've got a... um, uh, interesting shared working space there. And every morning at 11 a.m. and then again, I think at 6 p.m., they have uh, open business scrum. Mm-hmm. So I went over to one of the, those and, and talked to them and kind of saw what was happening during the business scrum. Um, and it's, a, it's a pretty neat place, I think, good for uh, networking with other people that are kind of working on different parts of it, of uh, of maybe making a startup, for example. Or, you know, there might be somebody there who's experienced with uh, building mobile apps, mm-hmm. another person more experienced with SEO, another person with marketing. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So this is the uh, e-learning and agile oil and water or a perfect match? Yeah, that's kind of interesting. E-learning and agile. So what is what does that actually mean? So the I guess e-learning would be electronic learning in terms of learning online versus your physical in the classroom with a with a professor lecture style. Mm-hmm. And I guess they're talking about how does how do we use this agile world or this agile system mm-hmm. in our e-learning offerings? So there's probably if you're into learning and you're into sort of digital learning, this mm-hmm. would probably be a great place to check out as well as the presenter uh, Chris Patch. Uh, he's been an e-learning developer for over 15 years, so mm-hmm. he's also been consulting with Agile. So he's like the perfect person to do this as far as uh, as uh, combining these two different skills. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm kind of trying to stretch my imagination here to see uh, what the what the problems might be, yeah. um, and it, it might be interesting to go out and check out to see uh, where where people are coming from with that. Um, but as far as e-learning and Agile goes. I don't see any conflicts. Do yeah, you? maybe it's just about using it best, not using it uh, at all. You yeah. know what I mean? So that should be pretty interesting. Anyway, that's Monday at 6.30 over at WhoSuite. And then we have Tuesday. And on Tuesday, our first event is the Tech Talent Meetup. Yeah, so over at BCTIA Innovation Hub, they seem to be having quite a few uh, quite a few interesting meetups over there. So the Tech Talent Meetup, uh, this is has the subtitle, Grow an All-Star Dev Team. Um, so what does that mean, really, an all-star dev team? I think a lot of people have a challenge, especially when you're starting off, to find people that are well-rounded. I mean, you've experienced this with trying to find people for for work, right? Finding someone that fits a nice mold. You might have a team that's super dev-heavy, and now you need a designer. Or you find, might find something that's super design-heavy, and now you need a developer. And you don't have a fit necessarily just like a skill fit, but there's a there's a culture fit as well. You know, is this person going to fit with me and, and all that stuff, right? Yeah, and I think when you look at uh, all-star, an all-star mm-hmm. team... This is something to me that means, you know, you might have some people that do stand out, uh, but you really work well together, mm-hmm. mesh together. And I think uh, this this is a good mix of maybe, you know, junior, mid-level, seniors that can all work together, have that, have some, some sort of culture that, that works well with each other. And yeah. of course, that doesn't mean that you don't have differences of thinking or differences of opinion. Yeah. One of the things I really like about doing the podcast with you, James, is that we have uh, at certain, certain with certain things, we have a very big difference of opinion, sure. um, and that kind of helps us, I think, as people to work together and to say, oh, okay, well, now I have to think a little bit about what James mm. is doing, or you have to think about yeah. what I'm doing, and does does it work? And that's been pretty cool. But There's actually one, mm-hmm. a panel here, yeah. um, with a bunch of different people on it. So, so the yeah, one of the things here is with this influx of junior developers in the market. Um, 
like how are we taking advantage of them and it seems like yeah a lot of places are like oh we want to hire we want to hire a senior we want to hire a senior we want to hire a senior and they're spending a lot of money and a lot of time trying to find people mm -hmm. um but what about you know actually having uh some good training systems in place that's what uh, Wishpond does right one of our first interviews with, with jason tam from Wishpond, and mm -hmm. he said the thing that they do is they start everyone in qa mm -hmm. and you get trained up from there so they're not necessarily i'm sure they have pe hired people at the senior level mm -hmm. um but they said the best thing for them is to start them out in qa and, and move them up the ranks you know whether what, that's, quick uh, or slow. that's what wordpress yeah. does as well everybody yeah. works remotely and regardless of your level i think your first three months you spend in qa yeah that's <laughs> uh that's cool so i mean uh Maybe there's there's uh, different things or different strategies to take away from that, um, considering these three panelists here. It should be pretty fun. Actually, uh, I mentioned last week that I'd be starting at a new place this week, and uh, it's really awesome. We have about uh, about 10 people, so it's a really uh, kind of small, interesting, uh, flat hierarchy sort of culture. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at uh, hiring on another person. And one of the things that I'm looking for is, is this going to be somebody that I can pair up with and that we can help to grow the type of culture uh, where we we do pair regularly, we are willing to bring on people and onboard them mm -hmm. rather than say, you know, here's here's some outdated documentation. See you in two weeks. Oh, are you are you caught up yet? Yeah. Yeah, you know that's <laughs> pretty challenging. I mean, that would make anyone quit, right? Yeah. Like, who wants to work in that environment? Exactly. So uh, just some somewhere that's going to foster uh, different levels of talent. We have some amazing senior level people. Mm -hmm. We have some people from all across the, bar, the board. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And our next meetup is the uh, is from the Vancouver Pixel Crafters Group. If you're not part of that, you should check it out because they have tons of events. But this one is called Capital Raising Fundamentals. Yeah. So the Vancouver Pixel uh, Crafters Group. If you have a um, if you have something that you know you don't have your own meetup page, but you mm -hmm. have an event coming up, like maybe you have a, an open house that you're having once a month or every couple of months, and and you want the Vancouver tech scene to kind of know about it, you can always send a um, send a, a, an email or a message to one of the organizers yeah. and let them know about the event. And I believe they'll just post it up for you. And that's kind of the main thing about this Vancouver Pixel Crafters. It's for all of us to use. And yeah. so it's pretty cool. This one is over at Spring Activator, uh, which is 211 East Georgia Street. And they've mentioned that's in Chinatown. Mm -hmm. So if you're wondering, oh, where's 211 Georgia? Yeah. It's on the other side of Maine. Cool. Um, and I think that's actually right by the ramen butcher. Oh, yeah, the ramen butcher, hot new restaurant, or I guess not new. Well, it's been around for yeah. a, a year and a half, two years, I guess. Yeah, yeah but it is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and you can RSVP to that, so make sure you do. It should be a lot of fun. Cool. All right, our next one, the Vancouver Closure Meetup, the Closure Hack Night. Yeah, so the Closure Hack Night, that happens, I guess it's every Tuesday over at CodeCore. Great bunch of people. If you're interested in Closure, make sure to check that out and uh, just have some fun. Yeah, if you're looking to know what this event is, the description says Hack Night. So <laughs> Hack Night. Bring your laptop for sure to this one. So Tuesday we have uh, a lot of things, and it's going to be hard to choose what to actually go out to. Yeah. Uh, this one, the DevTools Camp over at Mobify, 948 Homer Street. Um, that should be pretty interesting as well. And what's that all about, James? Yeah, so Microsoft and Mozilla sort of teamed up to offer yeah. this Dev DevTools Bootcamp, which is like a weird combo considering they have like competing browsers, uh, sort of. Um, so it's about the Firefox and uh, IE Edge, or Edge as they now would call it, uh, DevTools. So um, there's a lot of cool things you can do in Firefox that you might ne not necessarily be able to do in Chrome. Yeah. And uh, same goes for Edge. Uh, so it'd be really cool to check that out and see what the difference is, especially if you're someone that does a lot of cross-browser testing. It's important to know the dev tools for the different browsers that you're using because when you are always in Chrome or you're always in your, your browser of choice, you don't get that experience with the other browsers and it's hard to troubleshoot when things are wrong. 
So in the, in a, in a contrived example, you look at two pages, one in Chrome, it looks great. One in Firefox, it looks like junk. You can't necessarily use Chrome to debug your Firefox view. You have to use the Firefox tools to debug it. And so, uh, you know, it's it's good to know those tools and be able to use them. So this is this will help you out there. I remember using Firefox quite a bit yeah. back in the day with, with their dev tools. Yeah, they and they had a lot ass. of really cool things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like the 3D virtual uh, yeah. visualization yeah. tools. And um, I thought that was really neat. I actually only ended up picking up Chrome really simply because... Everyone else was doing it. Sure. <laughs> and it just became something that was kind of easier uh, easier to use together with, yeah, the, with other people. But yeah. Cool. Let's move on to Wednesday. Absolutely. So Wednesday, another big day. So we have this Docker Vancouver over at Hootsuite. Mm-hmm. We actually have two things happening at Hootsuite. Uh, and it looks like there might be some overlap there. So Docker Vancouver, they have something uh, happening at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the Vancouver Scala meetup. Uh, and that's a reading group. Mm-hmm. So they are going through a book. Make sure to check out the um, the website and maybe ping some of the members if you're interested in where they're at with that. And that's 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. over at uh, uh, Hootsuite. And the uh, the Docker event, the title is Docker Birthday Number 3, Celebration mm-hmm. and Training. And you're a big Docker guy, right? Um, yeah, I really, I really like Docker and I like the Docker meetup. But uh, to be honest, I think the uh, East 8th is just a little too far for me to track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe when the weather gets a little better. Yeah, cool. Um, but all right, you know what? Maybe I will. Yeah. I don't know. But cool. I'll, uh, looking at the Vancouver, Van Dev uh, that's at UBC Robson Square, that's something I'm definitely planning on going to. Mm-hmm. I mentioned I went to one, I guess it was a month ago now. Yeah. Uh, and that was awesome. That was like really one of my favorite meetups. Uh, Cliff Hammersmith. Yeah. Hammersmith. Hammerschmidt, Hammer yeah. uh, Mr. Chris, he, yeah, yeah. Chris, uh, was it Chris? No, it was Cliff. Oh, Cliff, yeah. yeah. Cliff gave a, a really good talk, and I think this is part two of that talk. So yeah, I want to go to that and check it out. Yeah, so sure. the title is "Architecting for Prebuilt Reuse." Mm-hmm. So uh, the last one I think was just general reuse, and I guess this is building on that, right? Yeah, that's right. Cool. Um, and then uh, another one over at PNI Digital Media Offices, which is uh, Suite 100, 425 Carroll Street. We have the Vancouver Plural Site Study Group. Mm-hmm. So this one, uh, I think this is also part two of building applications with React and Flux. I mentioned last show about uh, the fact that they'd be covering a lot of these React, React Router and Flux, all these cool front end things, mm-hmm. as well as these uh, modern client side build tools like Node, Gulp, Grunt. Uh, Browserify, mm-hmm. Bootstrap, and stuff like that. So if you're looking to sort of dive headfirst right into all that whole community, this would be an awesome pl- awesome event to check out. But I've also noticed that the Vancouver Pluralsight Study Group does seem to have a lot of these uh, building something, more like a workshop-oriented yeah. I think I'd really love to go out to some of their events. Um, it's just, it's hard sometimes with these conflicts and Wednesday seems to be one of these big nights. So will I go to the Van Dev? Will I go to the Docker meetup? Will I go to the Vancouver Plural Site yeah. Study Group? And guess what? Oh, will I go to Rise Open House, which yeah. happens to be at 5 p.m. to 7 p.m.? And if you're unfamiliar with Rise, you may have heard of PaySavvy. Mm-hmm. So they've recently rebranded because they do have uh, more offerings other than just payroll. And they've got that great space. We had the Hackernest there. It's over on the 12th floor, 1055 West Hastings. This is a ticketed event, but the tickets are free. So be sure just to register just to be nice. And it's rude not to. So yeah, always <laughs> definitely do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we have uh, Thursday. We also have a bunch of uh, events happening. Oh, yeah, we got a bunch. 
Yeah. So you have the, again, under the Vancouver Pixel Crafters Meetup Group, there's uh, an event that is over at uh, Launch Academy, mm -hmm. which is 300-128 West Hastings. And that's an intro to cybersecurity for startups. This is something, what do you think about security, cybersecurity, James? Well, I think it's super important given all the different uh you know, leaks that have happened lately, you know, with the questionable dating site that leaked all their data, as well as uh, some of these other uh, government things with the, the U.S. government in particular, they, they are, they're losing SIN numbers and stuff constantly, or SIN, that's redundant, SIN numbers. They're losing SINs uh, all the time, and they lose people's credit card information. The Target was a huge uh, victim. Sony was a huge victim. The security stuff is super important, especially if you're asking for money, taking credit card data, you know, securing personal information. It's super important. We talked about testing in the first half of the show. Like, I think security is probably that number that the first thing you should worry about as well as in your MVP. I was going to say that. And I was also thinking uh, how there's so many parallels, I think, between testing and security yeah. in that there's <laughs> such important things like security is something we should really be thinking about. But at the same time, it seems like it's kind of side shelved or just just thought of as a given like, oh, yeah, of course, mm -hmm. it's, it's got to be secure. And even if it's not, you know, do we have do we really have time to spend money on it uh, when we need to get that yeah. product out the door? We need to start generating revenue. Well, I think there was a thing with IBM or something, and they, mm -hmm. they managed to write up a sort of um, audit of how much it would cost them if the security leakage. And it was it was multiple millions of dollars. Sure. And that's a yeah. huge company. I really like about this one is that it's intro to cybersecurity for startups. Yeah. So I'd love to make it out to that. Again, that's Thursday. Uh, that's 1 to 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And the tickets are $17.24 each. That's $15 plus tax. Yep. Uh, so looking at the time that it's at, where it's at, and where I'm at during the day, I'm probably not going to make it. Yeah, it's 1 to 2 on Thursday. And that's at the Launch Academy, like Drew said. Yeah. So we got some other uh, meetups as well. We've got the Vancouver Spark meetup. And they have this uh, Understanding Spark Data Frames and Spark SQL. Yeah, it seems like the Apache group is just like ruling the world lately, hey? There's just so many pro Maybe. Apache projects that are like, I mean, really coming up a lot. I mean, these there's every other week there's a meetup with a new Apache tool being showcased or like how to use this cool Apache thing. Yeah, I guess that's pretty true. I think uh, Apache's had some pretty cool tools for a long time, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're really they're really coming up a lot lately. I've seen them with especially with all these uh, like they do a lot of distributed system type stuff mm -hmm. or really big, you know, cloud, quote unquote, yeah. uh, systems and tools. Mm -hmm. And Spark is a it's a tool for doing queries and sorting and all types of different queries for data sets. So mm -hmm. you have a big string file, you have a series of strings in an array. You can do a bunch of queries on them, reduce them, sort them, map them. All we have a of couple stuff. of guests coming up over the next couple of months that'll be able to explain that in much more depth yeah. to us. So uh, That's my, we'll, uh, we'll have that to look forward to. Anyway, this one is over at Simba Technologies, 938 West 8th. So cool. it might be uh, interesting to go check them out and see what they do. There's another one uh, at Cardinal Path, 1140 mm -hmm. Pender Street. This is the Learn Data Science. And this is cool because this is uh, this is really more of a hands-on thing. Yep. So doing uh, actual Kaggle competitions. Mm -hmm. If you're unfamiliar with Kaggle, take a look at the link. Uh, it's, there, there's some pretty cool competitions that you can just take part in right away. The TLDR for Kaggle competition is Kaggle is just a platform for data prediction competitions. So it's like a tool that you would use. Kaggle is the tool and the competition is part of what it provides is it kaggle or is it kaggle 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 i don't know <laughs> it depends on uh, your parents origin yeah and then uh, we also have the angular js vancouver meetup and uh this is over at red academy 21490 west broadway james uh you've been uh, doing some taing over there how do yeah. you usually get there 
Well, you go straight up the Briar Bridge and turn left on Broadway, or you go straight up the Granville Bridge and you hit it right away because mm-hmm. it's at uh, Granville and Broadway. Well, I meant you specifically. How do you usually get there? Do you bus? Do you oh, walk? Uh, you I've bike? walked. I've walked before. I walked on the Granville Bridge since you can't bike nicely on there. And then mm-hmm. the other day, I biked on the Briar Bridge. So. <laughs> But yeah, it's really easy to get to. It's right above a. Uh, it's, it's really like easy right, to get to. Right be above yeah. and beside the blends that's on um, Broadway and Granville, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. At, right above that. They actually have two floors now, so it's gonna be they're gonna be expanding their space in the next little while. So that's pretty cool. Oh, sweet! And that's it, it's a fair trek, I think, across that bridge, but it's not too bad either. No, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's straight there. There's tons of buses and stuff, so it's so easy to get to. Yeah. Parking might be a bit of a pain, but, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. who's a car these days, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then we also have the uh, Vancouver Drupal Users Group. So we're at the Network Hub, third floor, 422 Richard Street. And uh, if you're interested in Drupal, this would be pretty cool. It's uh, The focus, this one, is understanding responsive design and planning content for all devices. So obviously, that's really important if you're working mm-hmm. with uh, Drupal, or even if you're not, and you're just uh, interested in, you know, responsive design and planning your content across mm-hmm. different devices. Yeah, it can be really difficult if you're not experienced with how things react on a tiny screen versus a big screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're dealing with it all the time, building the front end of sites, so it's definitely nice to have someone just give you the answer instead of you having to die to find it. Yeah, and so that kind of, uh, that rounds out our meetups for the week. It looks like we have a pretty packed week, Monday through Thursday, and not too much happening on Friday. Cool. Woohoo. And we're here with our special guest, Jonathan Narvi of BetaKid. Thanks for being here, Jonathan. Glad to be here. Woohoo! Cool. And Jonathan, you're the West Coast editor of BetaKid. Indeed, I am. Uh, there was some discussion about that early on. What What do I call myself? The yeah. senior editor, but you know, West Coast editor seemed like uh, it hit exactly what it was supposed to be because we're going for regional penetration. Oh, that's pretty interesting. So how how did you decide or come up with regional penetration? Well, the, um, uh, you know, the the team back in Toronto Mm. is, um, you know, BetaKit was essentially, um, you know, a a Eastern Canada phenomenon. Sure. Uh, They were quite well known in uh, in Toronto. Their their readership was uh, primarily back east, but uh, the effort here was to, you know, Try to bring more of a West Coast audience I see. here. So it started uh, in the East Coast, covered a lot of East Coast specific stories, and now it's just expanding to the West Coast. Yeah, well, n- not so much East Coast, but you know, uh, Toronto. Oh, okay. Uh, so area, very regional. Uh, as far as yeah, southwestern Ontario probably goes. Yeah, and because you know that that was a natural following from uh, just the, the the tech hub that you've got back east, mm-hmm. the, um, the the tech hub that's grown up here in Vancouver. Um, you know, is a more recent phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Really, only things got started going uh, maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. How long have you been uh, on the West Coast, Jonathan? About 15 years now. I moved out here from Winnipeg. Um, it's been uh, it's been a good ride. Mm-hmm. Okay, so quite a while. Uh, I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about um, something you just said. So the tech scene in Vancouver, it's really going through a lot of growth. Uh, it feels like, to me at least, uh, maybe the position that we're in with the Vancouver Tech Podcast, seeing some of the meetups. like Pillars Hacker of Nest. the community. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and we're seeing like a lot of really interesting growth. There's some cool startups. We've got Hootsuite. Rise is definitely mm. on the rise. And yeah. uh, uh, just some really great companies out here. What do you think? Have we been going through uh, the same kind of growth that I feel like I'm seeing? Totally. There has been a lot of growth here on the West Coast. And 
it's it's an interesting kind of growth. The uh, you know we're we're facing challenges here that are are a bit different from mm-hmm. uh, back east, where there's a lot of media publishing focus mm-hmm. uh, to say apps they're developing there. What sort of challenges? But, well, the the biggest thing that um, Ryan Holmes, the CEO of Hootsuite, yeah. was alluding to uh, just recently mm-hmm. was the uh, uh, sort of the gap that well. There's a pay gap yeah. mm-hmm. between. Um, there was an article, right? I think I read that article actually. Yeah, yeah. and it, it was on it was on Beta Kid. Well, yeah. was... What did you think of that article? Um, For the record, on yeah. the record, <laughs> <laughs> it's well, it's a fair point. Um, the uh, the wages uh, can't compare with uh, what they can pay down in in Palo Alto, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or or even um, you know, I, I I don't know exactly you know the numbers they're they're paying mm-hmm. even back in Toronto, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I, I get the impression that you know highly technical work that developers mm-hmm. uh, uh, don't get paid as much here, but you know it extends to other parts of the work, you know the the marketing side of things. Sure. So I I thought it was really interesting. Actually, yeah. reading that article, yeah. um, I can't say that I really agreed with it. But then again, mm-hmm. I'm not CEO of Hootsuite, who mm-hmm. might have a better opinion than I do yeah. on that. But I can't say that I really agreed that uh, the cost of living is so far out of reach for the average developer or even attracting developers. But what I what I did get out of that article is maybe Hootsuite needs to start paying their developers more. There is that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's certainly, uh, you know, a lot of our readers were, were, uh, mm-hmm. commenting on that. And, and of course, you know, this is a phenomenon that strikes from two sides. It's not mm-hmm. just the, the wage gap. It's mm-hmm. the, you know, when we're talking about cost of living, mm-hmm. we're really talking about the cost of real estate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and there's no doubt that Vancouver is one of the, uh, most expensive places to buy into, uh, yeah. in, in, well, in the world, really. Yeah. In North America, I'd say. Um, oh, yeah. Pretty, pretty cheap in comparison to some other cities like well, in, in Seoul Canada. or Tokyo. In Canada, well, maybe the most. Tokyo. In uh, Canada, maybe the for most, sure. for sure. By a long shot, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I was reading outside of Hong Kong and possibly New York uh, mm-hmm. were, were, you know, the most expensive. And, yeah. um, you know, you can see why. It's, you know, it's a beautiful city, mm-hmm. uh, great people. Uh, you know, we, we've got the... The, there's the lifestyle factor here, yeah. um, but you know we, we've also got effectively uh, uh, you know limited supply mm-hmm. and with uh, of of housing with um, effectively infinite demand. I think right now people are probably screaming into their headphones. Foreign investors are driving <laughs> the price up, which is like partly yeah. true. I think that. It's going to be interesting if if Canada or the BC or even the city of Vancouver adopts something like what Sydney did in Australia, mm-hmm. or even um, I think there are places in Asia as well that adopted uh, similar things. I know definitely in, in England or London they adopted different rules for foreign investment as far as spending time there. Even in the U.S., you still pay U.S. taxes even though you're p- living outside of the U.S. If you, as long as you're a citizen, mm-hmm. so when you become a U.S. citizen, even though you're not living in the country, you're still paying taxes. You're still reporting your income and giving back. Even though you're not even living there, you're not using the roads, you're not using anything, but you're paying taxes there. What does that have to do with foreign ownership? So they're saying that, well, a foreign owner doesn't necessarily pay the same rate of tax that a, that a person living here would pay. So if you're using the roads, you're using the shops, you're using the parking meters, you're using the gas stations, you're using the economy of the local economy. You don't spend money where you work, you spend money where you live. That means that if I live, you know, I live on Seymour, I go to the IGA down the street all the time on Robson. I go there all the time. I'm not going to go to the other side of the city or I'm not going to go to Surrey and get my groceries. 
um, when I go to the Costco, I go to the one that's really close. So there's a there's a there's a local economy that you're supporting where you're living, not necessarily where you're working, where these people aren't working in the country. So they're not necessarily contributing as much as they would, even though they have a huge property and a huge value. Isn't the issue that people have with foreign ownership that they're not living there and that these places are empty? Empty empty properties as well. Yeah, that's a fair point. mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, from from the other side, you know, there are things we can do Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. you know, whether for foreign owners or or local uh, buyers, you know, it'd be fair. Like I've been saying, uh, you know, my response to the the Ryan Holmes article was... you know, and I've been saying this for years, just, you know, throw in SimCity style uh, urban planning <laughs> and, uh, you know, you throw a maximum security prison and, and a, a nuclear plant in, in downtown Vancouver and, you know, property prices will even out. I see. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'd really uh, like a maximum security prison and a nuclear plant on top of each just other. Put, no, put the prison core, but... in the plant and then you're solving two problems, right? That's yeah. beautiful. Well, cool. Let's jump back to uh, Betacade. Can you tell us a bit about Betacade and where they started or where they're come from and where they're going now that we're expanding beyond the, the Toronto region? Sure, sure. So Betacade's been actually around for uh, for some time, for a number of years. Uh, Douglas Soltis sure. is the uh, editor back in, in Toronto. There, there's actually a number of editors. He's sort of the, mm. the main guy there. And, and um, uh, Ian Hardy, publisher, uh, he's with Mobile Syrup. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great. There's a great team there. There's, uh, Jessica Lang is is another. Um, uh, I believe she was recently made an editor as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, and um, uh, formerly, a, a, you know, very uh, prolific writer. Sure. Uh, that well, I mean, still very prolific. Yeah. Um, and known for uh, her prolificness. Yes. Yeah. So what what is Beta Kit? Um, it is a um, uh, an online publication that. Uh, it it uh, covers innovation and technology uh, across Canada, coast mm-hmm. to coast. And how long um, has BetaKit been around? That is a very good question. Years. Uh, Years. I, I, you're going to have to Google that. Cool. Uh, uh, it, the thing is, it's been through different incarnations. Yeah. Uh, it was at one time, uh, I believe, a, a property of uh, the Financial Post. Okay. Uh, then it got spun off. And, That's interesting. And so... Um, uh, so now we're, we're doing our own thing. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, so it's a, a, um, I guess a, a typical, uh, online publishing model where you're, you're looking for, you know, advertising dollars, sponsorships sure. and, mm-hmm. and, uh, but the, the heart of the, the coverage that we do yeah. is, um, uh, a lot of it is in-depth feature reporting, yeah. uh, interviews with CEOs, cool. uh, CTOs about, you know, what is this technology that yeah. you're uh, creating? Well, and then, then there's a lot of Canadian flavor on top of everything, right? Totally, totally. Yeah. Uh, well, there has to be a Canadian angle to it or we, or we just wouldn't cover it. Okay, great. Um, you know, we, we, we can't be, uh, <laughs> you know, because we, we can't be in all things to all people sure. uh, kind of a site. Um, and um, I, I laughed a little there because I just thought, you know, does that mean that the Canadian stuff just doesn't matter? Sorry, how how do you mean? Well, it ha- there has to be a Canadian side to it, or we just wouldn't cover it. Does that mean, you know, <laughs> well, are we so overshadowed by uh, our American counterpart? I guess. No, I, uh, I I think this is just a case of finding your niche yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, uh, finding what you know your particular readers are interested in, and and if they're looking for uh, you know it's same as uh, you know readers or, or watchers of the CBC would be looking for mm-hmm. Canadian content, Canadian uh, flavoring on Can- top and, of and same with our podcast we've very yeah. much have yeah. a, a niche market yeah. and that yeah. we're, we're catering to the, the Vancouver developer. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So uh, just 
to, I, I guess, as a caveat on that, um, that uh, Canadian flavor, you know, it doesn't have to be entirely, you know, we're, we're not, you know, writing about uh, lumberjacks uh, creating yeah. their, their, their yeah. apps. It's, uh, you know, the, 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 the There's hook. only one maple syrup <laughs> article per, per week, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the hook could be something as simple as, uh, you know, uh, American Unicorn CEO comes down to uh, Vancouver mm-hmm. Uh, like the the Uber CEO did a few weeks ago, and I was yeah. writing about that. So, awesome, cool, yeah, that's pretty interesting. So I guess for you have a, a unique perspective on uh, on the Canadian tech scene as you're reporting on it as uh, West Coast editor. Um, my question about that is: Have you seen many trends with you know Canadian tech startups tend to be, or you know these types of personalities things tend to come from Canada, or just the types of uh, yeah. the types of companies? Well. You know, there's what I hear and then there's what I see. Sure. So, you know, what I hear from some, even some Canadian CEOs, but also the the investor side of things, VCs, will say that, uh, you know, Canadians often, you know, the, the C-suite class uh, don't often have the vision of their Cana- the, their American counterparts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where a... Uh, Canadian might look to solve a, glo- a local problem and, and look for a uh, relatively small but profitable niche. Mm-hmm. Uh, the American counterpart would be looking to, um, you know, take over the world. This is yeah. the solution that's going to be used. You know, this is the Facebook. This is the Google. Yeah. Which I don't think is fair. I don't think it's necessarily true. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of Canadian, you know, talented, uh, very smart CEOs and, and, and startup founders who are taking on the world. Uh, there, there's no doubt about it. But there is a, uh, the, the other side of it that, that keeps coming up. Again, it's, this is coming up from, you know, American VCs and also local, uh, entrepreneurs mm-hmm. is the lack of capital here compared mm-hmm. with Silicon Valley. There, there's no, uh, getting around that. It's, so, it's just, I true. think we see some, we see some parallels there as well mm-hmm. with, with, uh, with universities. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, there's a couple in Canada that are known, like, worldwide, mm-hmm. but it's really, really very few. Yeah, um, Western we is say, one. We say so Queens. here. We say so here, but I, like, actually traveling worldwide, well, I, Elon would challenge, Musk, I would Elon challenge Musk that. Queens, didn't he? So what? And, like, I mean, they're not, they're not known, they're maybe not. McGill, maybe. Yeah, McGill or Western and, and, uh, Queens, I keep saying, but uh, okay. there's U of T has a bunch of stuff that comes out. I mean, Jonathan, okay. you might know more about how U of T contributes to the world. They have research projects and all types of stuff that come out of there that are they're known for, and just including mm-hmm. economic studies and stuff like that, right? Sure, and that's you know the the original tech boom uh, was partly a, a collaboration between mm-hmm. uh, universities, uh, industry, uh, and and you know private uh, private entrepreneurs and. Uh, now I, I think it's shifted. I, I don't think it's necessarily a you know it's not a bad thing. It's just a true thing that there's more money in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Canadian entrepreneurs shouldn't be scared of that. Like they should uh, they should or they I, I should say they are often mm-hmm. taking money taking VC investment uh, mm-hmm. from the from that space. Right. So maybe but, that's a, but keeping operations here. Maybe well, that's a segue about sort of what you're saying, keeping operations here. Uh, what, how do you feel? Or how, what have you seen or heard of? Maybe those are two different things, but mm-hmm. companies moving from the northern Canada to the southern Californias. Well, and stuff Slack, like that. for example. I was going to suggest Slack as well as, a, as an example of one of those things where mm-hmm. it's maybe it was started here and that's a loose term. 
Uh, but they went to California to, you know, hit it big, you know, the gold rush in the most literal sense. Or maybe they hit it big and then it was an obvious choice to move there. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure which came first. Some, you know, it, it's it's funny. I hear uh, from both kinds of, of uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, mm. Some will say, uh, absolutely, you know, move to Silicon Valley. This is where the money is. It's where the talent is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where, you know, you can take your company global. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, uh, I also see examples, and there, there was uh, an article in Betakit uh, just maybe two months ago on this mm-hmm. phenomenon of um, uh, people who have started off in Silicon Valley or, or started off in Canada, moved to Silicon Valley, and then they move their operations here just because, yeah. as we said uh, a few moments ago, the talent here. Yeah. is, uh, you know, better value. So it's sort of like Canadian outsourcing, <laughs> right? Canadian outsourcing from your U.S. company that maybe you're a Canadian person, so you want to funnel work back to your home country or whatever. I think there's also the idea that, well, right at the moment right now, Canadian dollar is way cheaper than the American dollar. 40% discount. Yeah. Like, so... you can't, it's hard <laughs> to beat that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because at, at some point you go to, you know, a low-cost provider and yeah. quality is going to start to, start to slip. But yeah. it's not like... Canadian education standards are are lower than uh, in in the states when it right. comes to computer science and, and development. If, if anything, we're, we're, we're maybe we're better. Um, yeah. Well, let's just say we are for uh, the record. Since <laughs> 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 we're all Canadian boys. Here. Well, okay, so that's another interesting thing. You know, in in tech, uh, there is very often, um, and you're pretty familiar with this, James, and I, I'm assuming you probably are as well, Jonathan, the ability to work remotely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so h- how do you see this affecting? Uh, there was a uh, talk on this uh, in the Launch Academy office, and that's uh, I, I work out of the uh, Highline office within uh, mm-hmm. the Launch Academy uh, uh, building. Mm-hmm. And so I happened to be there for this, uh, this talk that was just on that very topic. And again, it was, um, uh, there, there was division between the panelists and the, these were guys from uh, who had all moved down to mm-hmm. Silicon Valley mm-hmm. and uh, they were saying you know a few of them were saying uh, you know you, you got to keep all your people together you know and that's mm-hmm. it's it's uh, not so much for um, you know the the work process it's more about um, the developing a, a corporate culture that's yeah. consistent mm-hmm. as, you, as you scale up um, so there is something to that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you want to be a plucky startup and you've got a great idea and uh, you've got some talented people working with you and um, they don't all happen to be in the same city or just, I don't know, or lazy when it comes to getting out of their their house and would prefer to spend their time drinking coffee and coding at home, you know, working on your magical solution. Sure. Then why wouldn't you do that? I think the uh, uh, the culture's changed on remote as well as it used to be. Like the with remote in the past, it was like okay, we're going to install a telephone and a special line, and then we have you have special internet. Uh, my dad used to work for Nortel, and they paid for a second line at our house so he could work from home sometimes. And so like that, those costs have been eliminated essentially with high speed internet. You know, you maybe submit a receipt and half your internet gets paid for. But for the companies, it's way cheaper to have a satellite office in these different different cities. We see it with Toronto all the time. There's a, I was actually living in London for the past five years, London, Ontario, and there was a bunch of companies there and they had an office in the most loosest sense that was in Toronto. And it was just really a phone number with a Toronto area code. And there was like one person there that was representing the company or doing sales or going to meetups and stuff like that. So we sort of see the facade of a company 
in a different city, but it's basically just one person or maybe two people or a small group of people, but they're not necessarily operating as part of, you know, the bigger businesses that are there. They probably have some, their real home is somewhere else and they're really just telecommuting or remote working for another city in another city. And that's sort of how they get represented. I think you can do that, you know, on a smaller scale or even with large companies uh, that have, uh, you know, project divisions mm. that, you know, are, are spun off uh, where the talent is just in a particular city. You, you can do that. It, it's all about, you know, what is your business plan? How do you want to uh, scale up? You know, like like the like I was saying before, it's about uh, that, that company culture, which you know, a lot of people talk about it and it's like this nebulous kind of a thing. But yeah. it, it is, it, you know, it's a valid concept of, you mm-hmm. know, thinking alike, having having aligned mission goals, have, having an aligned uh, I've heard a lot, you know, with a smaller startup, you're hiring for culture. But once you get to a certain level, then you're hiring for experience skill. and yeah. skill. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? I, I think it's all, uh, you know, of a parcel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think if... I, I think if you're not a fit for that cul- corporate culture during the interview, you're, you're not going to get the job mm-hmm. uh, if it's that clear. But of, co- of course, they want skills, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people with skills out there. So do they have uh, a, a similar goal, similar dream, similar uh, uh, style of, of working and of being? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- there's there's a lot to that. I mean, we talk sometimes about startup culture as – as it can be a little bit, I say, I use the word gross a little bit because it can be like, mm-hmm. hey, there's ping pong tables and there's beer and all this other stuff, which is cool. It's always great. But then maybe they should just pay their people more. Like, but if you're one of those per- persons that care about that, then that culture doesn't fit. You're already out of a fit. If they go to paintball every weekend and you're not into that, maybe you will go to a place where they don't do that, but they pay more. Mm-hmm. So you're sort of sacrificing different things or maybe gaining different things depending on how you look at it for these different companies. The work's probably I, I, very similar. I mean, I hear, I, I, I can visualize the example that you're giving, James, about, you know, the gross ping pong table, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I've ever seen that anywhere. You know, when, we, when I see, think of startups, I think of places that uh, are really innovating. I think, you know, a lot of the time you have uh, people who are maybe at various experience levels, mm-hmm. but who are really dedicated and putting a lot of time and extra effort into making something happen and oftentimes because they feel they, they feel this sense of belonging to it yeah it becomes their project and everybody on the team like the the company that i'm with now i mean we have maybe 10 people so it really does feel like uh i'm putting my personality myself into everything that i do yeah and that that makes me feel more of uh you know some ownership to that Mm. That's that's kind of what I think of when I think of stuff. Yeah, I think it's a mix of both. I think mm. there's there is that recreation side of things yeah. because you know all work and all uh, no play makes Jack a dull boy. That sure. that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and there is you know what you've been describing here. I think it comes down to values, mm-hmm. uh, and it's uh, you know I, I don't want to overstate this, but you know a good tech hire or a good hire generally is. It's like, uh, you know, it's like finding a, your fit in a romantic relationship. Right. Sure. Um, and if the values aren't aligned, uh, the core values, that it's it's not going to be much longer than a one-night stand. Yeah. Maybe we can jump back to Betiket as we're going on these tangents, which are great. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe you can tell us a bit about Betiket and how it's different from other sites. Totally, totally. Um, so I'll give you a, uh, I guess, a local example uh, that I, I think is good uh, looking at, at Tech Vibes. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tech Vibes has been around for years. Yeah. Um, and 
you know, Rob Lewis is, is just a fantastic guy, and I can't say enough good things about him, partly because uh, he, he sort of gave me a, a bit of a, a start. Actually, he, he was my start in technology journalism. When you were freelancing? Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Exactly. Maybe you can talk a bit about that. You've been a freelancer for a long time, so maybe people that are out there that are looking to get into it, maybe give them some advice. Sure, yeah. sure. So I'm not going to go deep into the history because it's I'm old. <laughs> but for people uh, that don't know, I'll... Jonathan has a huge beard. Uh... <laughs> um, I've been walking cane. You know, I've, I've been doing this for um, for some time, and and ultimately, uh, you know, the I, I I knew I had to be you know writing or or you know some kind of wordsmith sure. uh, early on. Uh, I'm now forty one, so back in my uh, university days, I just. Honestly, I didn't have the work ethic. Mm-hmm. I'm, I was a lazy guy. I'm still a, I'm <laughs> kind of a lazy guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to work construction and sure. uh, couldn't see myself sitting at a desk doing, you know, uh, filling out forms in an insurance company. Insur- insurance is a big, big uh, business in, in Winnipeg. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, diverse economy. Anyway, so I, I knew I wanted to be a writer, um, you know, start off in journalism. Mm-hmm. I was one of the early casualties of the three-man newsroom, you know, the uh, two people selling ads, one person. And actually writing the story. This oh, is yeah. the format that Conrad Black uh, developed, uh, yeah. which was, you know, successful, you know, as a way of, you know, s- delaying the, the demise of, of print in, in, sure. in, in the wake of online. Right. Um, so in, in that sense... Well, that's uh, kind of interesting, yeah. uh, the demise yeah. of print in the wake of online. Mm-hmm. So how has, uh, how has your transition as, you know, a freelance writer, as a, a West Coast editor for Betakit... Uh, how has that been, and how have you seen, um, I guess, just the world of writing uh, and the profession of sure. writing change over sure. the past, you know, decade or so? Yeah. One thing that's uh, changed that I'm having a lot of fun with, actually, mm-hmm. is uh, the style of writing is different. There used to be this uh, hard wall between opinion mm-hmm. and uh, and and uh, you know fact filled mm-hmm. journalism. Sure. And um, uh, you know, you, you would have op-eds and then you would have stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they're kind of blending. And I, I do that in some of my, my work in, mm-hmm. in Beta Kit as well. Uh, you can get away with it now. Yeah. You couldn't get away with it before. Right. Um, it just, it was unprofessional. Now sure. it's just, it's just fun and you know, mm-hmm. lots of people do it. Yeah. Uh, and as long as the fact part of your, uh, writing is, you know, accurate and your, uh, and it's, you know, there are ways to insert in the writing, you know, insert your opinion in such a way that it's clear this is opinion and this right. next paragraph is fact. You know, you can do that. Um, but it's, um, you know, it's sort of uh, Twitterizing writing mm-hmm. uh, or, or uh, you know, it's it's this mishmash of, of social media blog writing and... and uh, um, so how does how does that uh, fit in with SEO? So we all obviously you know you're putting something out there and yeah. you want people to actually read a it. A newspaper or find doesn't it. have a meta description or meta keywords in it. So how do you deal with that? Um, well, the the online version sure does. Yeah. Uh, the, I I I would hope I would I would assume, but I would mm-hmm. certainly hope that uh, all the remaining um, news publishing organizations in in the universe that started off as traditional print. Mm-hmm. Uh, and have forayed in, into online that they've trained their journalists in, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, SEO. It, you can insert search engine optimization into a story without taking away one iota of, of the factual uh, essence mm-hmm. uh, without making it, you know, this, this uh, 
uh, you know, keyword stuffed, yeah. uh, uh, you know, horrible, uh, uh, unreadable piece. Mm-hmm. You, you know, SEO, you know, people think of it as, you know, some people think of it yeah. as mm-hmm. this, you know, very artificial thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, it, it's quite simply uh, describing uh, or inserting words into the, into the story that are going to make it easier for your readers to find. And, you know, it's, it's just tapping into that, that audience with uh, specific keywords that, that mm-hmm. you know they're going to be looking for anyway. So, yeah. uh, so you're seeing it as like enhancing the user experience, not necessarily degrading the content. It's absolutely not yeah. degrading the content. That's it's, cool. it's um, you know, it, it is... It is what it is. It's, <laughs> it's like the if I'm writing a, an article about uh, uh, you know startups, you know taking advice from uh, from Uber, then mm. uh, you know that particular phrase, you know th- that long tail phrase might be in there. Like a, right. you know, and we're talking two two word, three word phrase uh, combinations that you know once you've been doing this for a little while, it's it's pretty intuitive. So uh, you know how is SEO done? Mm. It's, you know, in, within the content, you're, you know, you're, you're putting in these keyword phrases in, uh, you know, strategic places in, in the titles and in the subtitles and the, in the uh, uh, photograph tags. Yeah. Um, so for those of us who yeah. still remember the Internet uh, pre-2006, mm-hmm. I think which is when Google stopped actually paying attention uh, so much to keywords mm-hmm. or at least not using keywords as their uh, as their ranking search engine ranking optimization. Went down. Um, but I mean, before that, I think a lot of people saw SEO as keyword stuffing or as I don't know if you remember those pages that you would get that would be all links to um, whatever it was that you just typed yeah, in your search. Or so I'm looking yeah. for like you know uh, blue t-shirts and it's a t-shirt blue blue t-shirt. Blue, you know, yeah, or um, back in the day, you'd see some places where they would hide content with CSS, and mm-hmm. inside would be just a huge list of keywords. <laughs> right, and it'd yeah. just be like stuffed in there in the content, but hidden so you couldn't see it. So that's very, that. very <laughs> different from today's from yeah. today's SEO. But you still find people, and I think this is where uh, you might say, you know, maybe if you're hiring someone uh, intentionally or specifically for SEO, uh, where you might p- see people who have these this idea that it is just kind of keyword stuff in your content mm. as opposed to generating rich content that also has, um, you know, those keywords that you're, that you're targeting. I see this actually kind of paralleling. I'm not sure if you're familiar with domain driven design. One of the concepts there is that everyone in your organization uses the same sort of words or the same terminology mm-hmm. to describe the same things. Um, and this is, you know, it's, it's a, a far cry, I guess, from the world of SEO, but it's that, you know, everyone from your CEO down to your developer, when they say user login, they know that a user is called a user, not a member. Or they know that they're not a client, yeah. called a user, yeah. and everyone's calling it a user. They know that when a user logs in, they're logging in with a username and a password, and that's ubiquitous throughout the organization. Is this in any way related, you think, to SEO? Well, I suppose in terms of uh, you know a lot of there's a lot of analytics that goes into it now, and uh, you know people are running the numbers. We we don't call our readers users, but you mm-hmm. know I mean, but maybe I mean, you call they're, them they're, readers. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's ubiquitous. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like to think so. Yeah, um, it's 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 funny. I I guess what I was saying is is that journalists uh, have to have that technical skill, but it's not that 
uh, hard to pick up the basics mm -hmm. enough to uh, help with uh, you know the organic search and it's not just organic search that you know that's how people are finding uh, articles now you mm -hmm. know uh, uh, org media organizations have to do some some outreach some some social media outreach the, 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 the paid maybe. placement <laughs> um, and uh, I, I don't really handle any of that I'm, I'm the you know the editorial side of things sure. but, but you but also do um, communications yeah I, 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 I want to get to that in a minute but I, I, I just wanted to uh, respond to an earlier uh, question you had uh, or comment uh, around giving tips to writers mm. today um, I guess my number one tip is there's so much opportunity out there yeah so much opportunity for paid gigs uh, whether it's uh, on the content marketing side that mm -hmm. you, you alluded to uh, a minute ago uh, or in the uh, editorial uh, uh, domain mm -hmm. um, there I, I can't say this enough because uh, I've, I'm sick and tired of seeing <laughs> seeing writers run away from mm -hmm. big paychecks yeah uh, which um, uh, I've I've had uh, on 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 the content marketing side. I've, I've been running a, a business where um, you know I will I will write the SEO content for uh, um, all kinds of companies, mainly tech, but uh, whatever. And there's so much uh, work out there on on the marketing side, and more so uh, in these these days as as ads sort of get blocked more and more. Mm -hmm. You know, content marketing mm -hmm. is the only kind of marketing. Uh, it's not quite true, but it's it's getting there. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I want to see uh, more kids coming out of school who are, are um, confident that, mm -hmm. you know, they, they can find gigs. Yes, okay, fine. Print journalism is, is dying. Uh, but <gasps> online oh, <God>. is... <laughs> <laughs> he on, said it, he said it. Yeah. <laughs> on, online is, is uh, you know, is, there's, there's so many opportunities for for you to have a voice to mm -hmm. uh to write about interesting topics to 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 get to research new things to get to uh talk to interesting people write things down and and get paid a you know a, a decent wage yeah. you said uh you're sick and tired of seeing writers run away from big paychecks yeah. and uh i was wondering do you have some examples of that where do you see that well, uh, you know, within my own uh, business, I, I can I, I don't want to name anyone, but there's there's, you know, writers I've, I've hired who, you know, sort of, uh, you know, they're they're uh, I'm, I'm trying to convert uh, right. uh, uh, journalists, you know, who who have been laid off, train them up, you know, get them to uh, work on some of this, this content marketing side of things and, mm -hmm. you know, writing uh, you know, writing blog posts, case studies, that kind of thing. And uh, um it's not a bad thing to, you know, help companies tell their story uh, in an interesting way. Uh, you know, what is their, what is this innovation? Mm -hmm. uh, how is their solution going to help you? You know, it's not, uh, but, but, you so know. How so how does so, that so, differ so, from marketing? So it, it, it is marketing. So mm -hmm. uh, this is aside from the beta kit stuff. Mm -hmm. So, sure. so, you know, this is my own, my own thing. But uh, so with, within, you know, people I've hired, you know, uh, several times it sort of comes up. They're like, I can't do this anymore. It's like this. This is, you know, I feel like like one dude said, literally, uh, I'm I'm prostituting myself. You're you're a prostitute, <laughs> and I, I, and I'm like, dude, like they're paying you to write, and this is interesting stuff to write about. Like yeah. you get to interview people, and 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 you're not like, uh, you know, writing some. You're not like writing 
uh, you know, come, come, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not keyword stuffing. You're not, you're not, you're not uh, saying, you know, come down to, uh, uh, you know, our my furniture store and <laughs> and and you know, fifty percent off, and that's that's all there is to it. Uh-huh. it doesn't seem like there's, moral there's, issues either. They worry yeah. about tech. What's the yeah? What's the challenge? You, you've, yeah, I can I can see both sides. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you've done something where you may not have wholeheartedly wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Not saying that you wholeheartedly didn't want to do it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there can be a time in your career where you say, you know, I wish I was just writing about slugs. You know, yeah. I love slugs in the garden and yeah. I really want to write about them, but nobody really cares about them or I want to build websites. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just, everyone's into cats and I just want yeah. this you know, <laughs> slug website. Yeah. And nobody, nobody, nobody cares about their, it. So why am I dealing with all yeah. these cats all the time just for money? Yeah. yeah, there, there, is, there's no uh, uh, the problem. The, the, there's no conflict there because mm-hmm. uh, a writer who's you know got, got a a decent meaningful wage of and 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 you know and and all all the perks, all the the everything that goes with having meaningful work. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're going to be more creative on in yeah. their off time if they want to write about if they want to write books about slugs in their off time and sell yeah. them and then make a million dollars that way. I that's it, even better. I call mm-hmm. it the annoyance tax. I just charge enough that makes sense for me to do it. So if mm-hmm. I'll put aside my annoyance, it's annoying me, but I'll you know just set a number that you think that well you know it's annoying to me. It's going to take a week, whatever that is. Put a price on it and just say that's the price. And if they'll pay that, great. Uh, you set the price. That mm-hmm. you, didn't, you didn't accept the price that they offered you for doing something you don't want to do. If you say the price is, oh, give me $1,000 for the whole day, like, great. Like, you know, maybe you'll be annoyed for a whole day, but you'll make $1,000. And some people will pay. You just have to ask. And, and then you won't have that problem of, well, it's annoying or whatever. Then that, that whole day you earned $1,000, don't take the next annoying story. Work on the slug website instead. Mm-hmm. So I think you can subsidize that by just charging more for stuff that you don't necessarily like to do. People mm-hmm. do it all the time. Just to point out, I think that's a relatively low number for a full day. And I think at, even as a freelancer, I think you should keep in mind uh, what companies would charge mm-hmm. and what goes into that. Companies that support uh, things like um, medical insurance and multiple staff sales as well. I think oftentimes freelancers, maybe you can speak to this, but I think oftentimes uh, freelancers um, don't put as much consideration into mm-hmm. their own time in dealing with customers. Sure. You know, like talking to someone going through the process Discovery. of the sale. Whereas yeah. if it were a business, they would still have to pay that person for that. And oftentimes that's a big commission and a big chunk of it. That's yeah. absolutely true. Uh, and writers, uh, I'm not talking about beta kit here. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, this is more on the, on the, um, the freelance, on, side, on of the freelance yeah. side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, uh, it's so common for writers to undervalue their, their work. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll charge, you know, effectively 15, 20 bucks an hour, uh, you know, and, and only charge for the, the time that, uh, they're spent actually writing per as word, opposed to the research side. Really yeah. Uh, per word isn't, isn't a problem necessarily. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're charging a buck a word, you know, it's not, not a bad, <laughs> yeah. uh, That's right, system. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> Especially with my typing speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I see this again and again. And and the worst part is the they all make the same mistake. And I made mm-hmm. the same mistake early on in, right. in freelancing is is charging a discount, uh, offering a discount, mm-hmm. uh, in the expectation that you know when the bigger project comes along, 
this uh, benefactor, this the you know the, cl the client will yeah. uh, you know see the value of your work and they'll mm -hmm. say yeah. yes, okay, next pro you know you did such an amazing job. I don't mind if you increase the price fifty percent, a hundred percent, and of course they're going to mind. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's the uh, same thing of do it for the portfolio. Yeah, it's like come on, come on. And speaking to that, yeah. um, I would rather that writers uh, charged zero uh -huh. than charged ten bucks, twenty bucks, forty bucks uh -huh. an article. Uh, mm -hmm. Just right. charge zero because then they don't really know what you're. I've actual I, I've actually is. done that before, and I've said, you know, I'm not comfortable working for what you're comfortable spending, but I will do it for free mm. for now. You know, to get to give something to get something out there. And I probably end up not working with that person again. But um, and this is uh, actually had exactly to do with writing. This was when I was writing uh, writing text. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th I think it's pretty interesting. If you need something to get your first thing out there, hmm. you get the publicity, uh, or you maybe get marketed. But you, I felt better, you know, charging nothing hmm. than maybe charging. You know, $10 or I actually $20. had uh, one of my first clients when I mm -hmm. started Warpaint was this company and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, do this for really cheap. So mm -hmm. Exactly what Jonathan's describing. Do this for cheap and we'll, we'll, we'll refer you to all our friends. Mm -hmm. And so what we did was we added it in the contract mm -hmm. saying that, well, the original price of this project, this was like maybe five years ago or something, is, uh, is, is th six grand. But we're mm -hmm. giving it to you for three grand. If you give us two clients, we'll, we'll, we won't charge you the rest. Mm -hmm. So they got a 50% discount for two referrals. And they said no, because that revealed their true, you know, plan, which was let's just get it for cheap and then tell these guys to go away. Mm -hmm. So there's there's tricks there where you can say, oh, maybe bundle six projects together instead of one free. I'll do five, six for the price of five. Mm -hmm. So then you are doing one for free, but you're still already getting that business in advance. So instead of someone saying, oh, I'll give it to you later, get them to promise it now. And then they have no problem giving them a deal. So there's yeah. tricks like that. Yeah, too. that's that's the thing. Um, you know, there's there's ways to. I guess uh, uh, try to try to um, reduce the risk of uh, yeah. a, a psycho client uh, <laughs> if, if you're freelancing and and the yeah. psycho client could be like a, a one-man uh, operation one person operation or it could be like a big media company that just doesn't end up paying uh, this does happen mm -hmm. um, you know try to get your 50% up front if you're working with a business that should be standard yeah um, uh, or if it's a longer project, you know, you work out uh, retainer, so. yeah, milestones. Um, so, you know, early on, a lot of writers don't even get this. And they, so, um, so yeah, my, my advice for writers, whether writing, writing about tech or whatever, it's, uh, mm. just, yeah, uh, make sure that you reduce, mitigate your risk, work with contracts. Okay. Um, you will come up with, uh, you will come up against psycho clients and, and uh, you just have to hold them to their contract or sue them. I've done that. <laughs> yeah. So. so that's interesting. We've spent a lot of time kind of talking about freelance and, yeah. um, but I want to come back to beta kit. So let's say I'm a, I'm a company or I'm doing something pretty interesting and I want to get my story on BetaKit. What mm. what is newsworthy? What is BetaKit worthy, uh, in your opinion, John? That's such a good question. Uh, you know, we we try to focus on um, you know the big innovation, but it's it's also things that people can relate to in their uh, in their daily lives. So whether it's a, a big um, uh, established tech company like Telus, mm. uh -huh. uh, it's putting out something that's um, uh, 
you know, a, a new service that people can use or, or just when they open that, that uh, giant uh, building up on, on Georgia mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, giving the, the tour there of, of these open space that they're uh, opening up for um, mm-hmm. uh, other uh, startups to, you know, experiment with things. That, that, that's interesting. Um, we're looking for innovation in, um, uh, in what they're building, how they're building it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking for stories of redemption in the business model. Sure. And, and when, when I'm talking, <laughs> when I say that, I mean, you know, the most interesting stories are where you see uh, early failures, fast failures, uh-huh. and, uh, then, uh, you know, companies on the brink of, uh, running out of their, their funding when suddenly they, they pivot. Mm-hmm. And this one thing the changes everything. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's uh, those are fun stories to write. Okay. And then my final question, I guess, uh, if I want to reach out to you, either to you personally, Jonathan, or to BetaKit, uh, where do I do so? And as far as the meetups or tech events around town, where might I see you? Okay. Uh, you one can, question, two parts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find BetaKit, www.betakit.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, uh, you can just... Jonathan.narvi at, at betakit.com uh, contact reach out to me we also have a contact page we got we got a Facebook we, we've got Twitter mm-hmm. uh, we're easy to get a hold of yeah um, and please we want to hear from you if you've got um, an interesting story um, we we want to hear your story you guys have a podcast sort of right the CanCon podcast yeah Douglas Soltis has been uh, running that with his uh, colleagues I haven't been involved yet mm-hmm. I, I want to get in on that yeah it, listen to the two episodes the two latest ones it was cool one was yeah. about uh, unicorns in Canada and the other one was are we too Canadian for fintech sort of like <laughs> sort of what you were talking about as far as like Canadian attitudes toward business but they're both really good and it was really informative it was so Canadian it was great <laughs> so it was really awesome you know Douglas is just so amazing at the, at that uh, side of things uh, I'm, I'm more of a writer mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to you know mm-hmm. build up that uh, ability to you know speak in front of crowds and I, I can do it it's just uh, that guy is just he's, he's magic in front of the crowd sure uh, cool um, and um, so yeah I, I guess that's that's pretty much it uh, that's pretty much yeah, it pretty well much jonathan it. narby from BetaKit. thank you very much for being on the vancouver tech podcast thanks thank you it's been great thanks for listening to another episode of vancouver tech podcast.ca that's our site you can actually email us too at show at vancouver tech podcast.ca or find us in the yvr dev slack I'm at Drew. I'm at James. We're almost always online. You can actually get an invite to YVR Dev Slack if you haven't got one already at yvrdev.herokuapp.com. See you there. Bye.